Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. And this is episode 113. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. This week, we have a specially extended episode. Digital editor Alex chats to Josh Katz, owner and chef of London barbecue restaurants Berber and Q and Shawarma Bar. Josh shares his barbecue tips for cooking meat and veggies on the grill, including his legendary cauliflower shawarma. He also gives us an insight into the stories behind his new book, Berber and Q, including his insider travel tips for food lovers visiting Marrakesh, Tel Aviv and beyond. Hello everyone, so it's Alex here, and on this very hot day, I'm actually with Josh Katz, who is a master in barbecue and known for his big, bold flavours. So Josh is he- um, chef and owner of barbecue restaurant Berber and Q and Shawarma Bar, and the author of recently published book, Berber and Q. So Josh, hello. Hello, thanks for having me. No problem, thanks for being here. So you went to Birmingham University and then popped over to Sydney for a couple of years, after which you decided to write to chefs in London to pretty much ask for a job or ask for advice. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's a true story. It's a a dad's advice, that one, isn't it? To just write to, uh, to all the chefs. Uh, in London to find out how to best to get into the industry. But I was a little bit older. I was I was 26 at the time, okay. so I wasn't sure whether I should sort of just dive straight in the deep end, go straight into a restaurant, or whether I should go to Cullen, you know, school and, and, and learn. So he suggested that I write to um, to some of the top chefs to get their advice. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, it's that's quite a nice idea, actually, that, isn't it? Um, yeah, well, what surprised me, what was nice was that I wrote to six, and five out of the six came back to me. So I, I wasn't expecting we any of them. To, we no, no, I won't name names. But I wasn't expecting any of them to come back to me, but five of them did. So That's that was brilliant. Nice. Yeah. So what happened next then? Uh, well, the, the, they came back to me with various different, uh, you know, ranging from just advice to why don't you come in and have a chat to why don't you come in and do a week's trial. So Chris and Jeff Galvin invited me in. They'd just opened uh, Galvin Deluxe on Baker Street. And they invited me to go and do a week's trial uh, to see how I how I felt about it and whether I liked it. And went there. It just so happened that there was a, a, somebody I knew from my school who was also working there at the time. Great. Did a week. Ended up doing nearly two years, about 20 months. Oh wow! Yeah. So it, it was successful. Your um, your writing. Yeah, it led to um, it led to my first my apprenticeship, I guess. Yeah. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you've had then you had a lot of experience um, over the years in London, um, but you like many successful chefs, you did some time with sounds sounds funny, isn't it? Did some time with, yeah. but um, you worked with Ottolenghi. I did. Um, I, I worked for your time. For, yeah, for yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what what did you learn from Yotam? Uh, I learned loads of things. I love my time there. I learned um, I learned from a food point of view. I learned sort of you know big bold flavors. They you know the the salad. I mean, I worked the the, the, the delis for the first eighteen months that I was there, going around each of the delis, and and they sort of do these lovely huge platters of food. It was you know unrefined but lavish. You know big bold 
flavors, bright colors, uh, everything seasoned correctly and, and done correctly, but in a sort of unfussy, unpretentious kind of way, yeah. uh, which really resonated with me. That was just, you know, um, everybody kind of falls into their style of cookery that works for them and that they enjoy doing. Some people love, you know, pushing themselves experimentally, you know, to the boundaries and seeing what they can come up with. And I just, I just like that, that style of food, which is, um, you know, I, I found it to be, I, I just don't think I have the patience for really the sort of um, fine dining, refined cookery. Just, I didn't, I mean, there's, there's lots of things. Those, 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 that's a hard school of learning that takes a long time and a lot of dedication. And I just, was, I, was, I started later in my career. So I, and the, the style of cooking just didn't resonate with me as much as, as Ottolenghi's cooking did. So I, I um, from a food point of view, I, I learned a lot. And from a running a, a restaurant or a business, they had a wonderful team. They looked after everyone. They, they create this real sort of um, family atmosphere amongst all of the staff. A lot of them are still my, my friends today uh, and people I still work with. And, and they, they really did a brilliant job of generating this sense of, of family spirit and team ethos. Uh, which I think is, is vitally important in running a restaurant. Absolutely. So, so I, I learned a lot of those, you know, a lot of things. From right. That, yeah. yeah, he's become so iconic. I think, like, you know, I don't know how many years ago, but his his style of like the salads and the huge sharing platters, like, mm. it's everywhere now. It and is, so yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Although, you know, it, it is a bit. He's got a sort of blueprint on, you know, if you see a big salad that's... There's lots of people doing salads, but it's kind of like always, well, that looks like an Ottolenghi salad, you know? He's managed yeah. to sort of put his stamp on yeah. all big platters. I'm it's, sure it's, someone was doing it before, they're really probably, pro probably a bit miffed. Yeah, but it's brilliant what they've managed to do. You know. um, so, um, speaking of Ottolenghi, so you've done... You've had a lot of experience in very different cuisines, so with Ottolenghi, and also you worked in a Jewish community centre, and you've... Um, you're quite well known now for your Middle Eastern, North African, and American barbecue mix mm. of cuisines. Yeah. Um, how how have you come to that? Um, those three. Um, a roundabout kind of way. I mean, I, I mean, Middle Eastern and North African flavors, largely through my time at Ottolenghi, and uh, I was living on the Edgware Road for about six or seven years of my adult life. Uh, of of you know, when I started being a chef, so I started at Galvin. Through my time working at Ottolenghi, I was I was living on the Edgware Road, which That's where those, I live. right. So so you you're well aware, but for those listeners who don't know, you know, there's a load of Persian, Lebanese uh, restaurants. It's, it's sort of um, so I would spend a lot of time eating out, and 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 then I was also travelling a lot to uh, Morocco, Istanbul, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, Israel, spending time you know in those countries I'd go to each one of those at least once a year you know so I had a good period of sort of five or six years where I was traveling a lot to those countries I was working in, in, in places like Ottolenghi um, and that kind of helped to shape um, my love for sort of Middle Eastern uh, Levantine Mediterranean North African cuisine and American barbecue I've just been sort of a fan of it from afar without you know it's not like I worked in an American barbecue restaurant historically i've just always loved eating american barbecue i was a big fan when it when it came over to london with pit q and started yeah. taking shape over here I, I was sort of watching it from afar i used to I've, I've spent many years going to new york and and uh parts of america to sort of explore the cuisine so um you know i just kind of had a love for what american barbecue stood for you know that kind of um relaxed style of eating 
meat piled onto a tray, communal <laughs> sharing with friends and family sitting in the back backyard. You know, that's it's like, like these these sort of things that I, I kind of associate American barbecue with. And I just wanted to pull all of those various strands and those influences together, really. That's that's how I came to it, yeah. Well, yeah, you have done very successfully. And your, so was Berber & Q was your first restaurant, wasn't it? Berber & Q, yeah, it was the first restaurant, yeah. 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 So uh, that focuses on, like, these, like, meat, well, barbecue cooking. Yes. And um, But you also have a full Israeli breakfast that um, I've heard a lot about. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I've just, I've had a lot of um, breakfasts in Israel, which are kind of almost like a buffet, you know, yeah. it's like, uh, I mean... Uh, just come back from France and every morning I was having so buffet breakfasts are not uh, unique to Israel but they're always this sort of light Mediterranean fare a lot of the hotels do them and you go in and you know you get cheese and tahini and salad and some pastries and some you know barrecas and you know all sorts of different uh, pastries and fruit and um, a lot of savoury elements that would make, make up you know, feta cheese and that would make up the breakfast. And we just wanted to do something that uh, was a reflection on that experience. So we, we, we started with a sort of tray with lots of different little mezes and uh, soft-boiled egg and, and, and some cheeses and tahini and various, you know, range of things from sweet through to savoury and put them all together on one big sort of platter. And it became our most popular yeah. Dessert, uh, sorry, dessert breakfast. <laughs> dessert? Um, it became Coming our, for dessert? Well, yeah, yeah. Very it, it became our most <laughs> our most popular breakfast, and so now we do like at least fifty percent of our orders are always the Israeli breakfast. Wow. You know, so it became a bit of a thing. Now we're yeah. mar- we're married to it. Accidentally. And, and, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> and you have um, you make fresh pitters, don't you, as well? Uh, we grill fresh pitters. We don't make them ourselves. We oh, have right. an Israeli baker. His name's Arik, and he's oh, brilliant. Nice. And he delivers them fresh every day. Amazing. But, to go through the amount of to make the amount of pitta that we go through every yeah. day requires some kitchen <laughs> capacity or space that we don't have. Yeah. So that's something we buy. Concentrate in. on the the barbecuing, yeah. the, the meats yeah. and the veggies. Yeah. Um, also, so we, we cook exclusively on over charcoal and fire, so we don't have a baking oven that we could set to a uh, an exact temperature. Not that you need to in order to you know do pitta. You just need a very hot oven. But you know. Getting that temperature range when you're cooking over charcoal is, is not necessarily that straightforward. Yeah, so speaking of, of which, you um, recently had your book Berber and Q published, and that contains hundreds of flavour pack recipes that um, you can cook on the barbecue and grill. Yep. So did you revisit some of the countries you've been inspired by in order to write these like, new recipes for, for the book? Or uh, I did in the sense that I'm always you know, visiting them. A, a year won't go past, which I won't go to either... Israel or Morocco or Turkey or somewhere, you know, the Mediterranean. So I'm, I'm always checking in on those places. I, I kind of go annually to, to Morocco almost, and almost the same with Israel over the last five, seven years. Um, so I went to them just by way of, like, I'm always going there for inspiration, not necessarily with the, with the view of um, specifically for the book, but, I'm, I, you know, I, I went in there, I'm always sort of getting inspiration and ideas. Wandering around. Yeah. And when, when you go to the countries, like, what, what do you like to do when you first, when you get off the plane, like, where do you go? If you're going to, like, Tel Aviv, what, like, where do you go as soon as well, you Well, my, my, my travel to them are always sort of, ba- like, I like to travel through food. That's how I explore a country and its, and its culture. So I tend to sort of map out a city by the places that I want to go and eat. And, yeah. And, 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 and check out that's kind of you know I think some people are obsessed with food that's kind of so I'll, 
I'll often forego museums or landmarks that are like, you know, people say, did you go here or did you go there? I don't really bother no. with any. No, I mean either. <laughs> I skip straight to the restaurants or the markets or the places down a, a back alley or the, you know, so uh, I have a, a sort of a, lots of different places that I will go. And I'll try every time I go to go and check out a, a load of different ones, but there are some that keep drawing me me back. So, you know, Meshwi Ali in Marrakesh, for example, is one Meshwi of my favourite places. It's called Meshwi Ali. They cook lamb under the under the floor of these shops. It's just a tiny <gasps> little alley in the Medina, which has about five or six stores. And underneath each one, there's a big dugout pit, which they kind of lift this, this lid. It's directly under the floor that they're standing on. And there's like this smouldering pit where they cook whole lambs on, oh, on wow. skewer. And it's uh, skewered lamb. That sounds and amazing. It's, um, it doesn't look very hygienic because you get there and they've got all these different like parts of the lamb laid out <laughs> sitting in the midday sun it's not sort of something that necessarily uh you'd think was the most hygienic display of food but it tastes absolutely unbelievable um so you know i'll always go there and i'll go to if i'm in tel aviv but almost the first morning i'll go to abu hassan which is for hummus in abu uh, hassan, in, abu hassan in, in in jaffa um which for me does the best the best hummus that i've found oh. uh and so in each place i'll have these certain uh, places that I've been to, I don't know how many times, and I always have to go back to, to check back in on them. And then it's also about discovery and about trying to Absolutely. find new places. So, yeah. yeah. How do you find the new places? Do you just stumble across them, or do you? Like, no, I have do a lot. Of, I do. A, I have. I have mates. So through my trips, I have uh, people there who's actually what they do is run food tours, or that I've right. made contact with historically and met up with, and either gone on their tour or just met up with them and. They've taken me to, 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 to various, their favourite spots. Uh, but then I do a lot of research as well, because for me, that's part of the fun of the trip, is sort of planning where I'm, I'm going to eat. It's yeah. like, you know, you, can, you get into your travel experience before you're actually in it. So I'll spend a few months mapping out my map and, yeah. and where I'm, where I'm going to go. And then I'll, there's a lot of information that you can find. It's amazing to I think know, that in this incredible. day and age, you know, what you can get on the internet compared to if you were going 15, 20 years ago, you know, how that would have would have looked like so yeah. it's yeah. amazing isn't it when you because i do a lot of travel for olive and when you come across a really foodie local person like if you come across their instagram account or their blog and yeah. you get yes it's yeah. such it's a like gold mine, isn't a, it? you've unlocked uh it's, what's the word i'm looking for <laughs> a treasure chest yeah. of information yeah. and it's just like wow you know it all comes out and suddenly you don't need to really i mean that is the, the beauty of social media and, and modern technology is that you can literally find certain people's accounts absolutely and they can guide you exactly where, where to go yeah. so yeah. you find your tribe they say yeah exactly then yeah. just follow them and yeah, yeah it's all yeah. good so there's a lot of meat going on at your restaurants and in the book um so do you have some tips for our listeners for cooking meat on the barbecue? Because we're, ha we're having an amazing summer in London and I'm, I expect a lot of people are having lots of barbecues and entertaining, getting lots of people around. Uh, yeah, I have... Um, what about I for cooking, just... like, a large pieces of well, meat? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's two ways of cooking. I think most people think of barbecue essentially as sort of grilling directly over the charcoal. And, and um, you know, that's fine for sort of sausages and burgers and, and chicken wings and certain steaks um, but there is a whole other world of barbecue which 
um, to be unlocked by sort of cooking indirectly, we call it, which is where you, you know, build a bed of coals to one side. It's for when you have like a, any barbecue that has a lid, essentially, you can turn it into an oven. You build a bed of charcoal to one side of your grill and you place your meat on the other side so it's not cooking directly over the coals. And that, you know, you don't have to worry so much about it burning because it's, di you know, directly getting radiant, radiant heat from the coal. And that enables you to cook large joints um, with the lid down. And you impart that sort of barbecue smokiness by virtue of the fact that you're cooking on charcoal or you're cooking over wood without, uh, without having to sort of spend your time standing there and, and turning it the whole time. So there's a whole other world of cookery for sort of uh, larger joints, you know, shoulders of lamb, mm. uh, legs of lamb, pork butts. Uh, pork butts? Yeah, pork butt, you know, um, or pork shoulder or... Uh, large cuts of, of beef, short rib, briskets. That, um, oh, God, I'm hungry now. <laughs> yeah, take, they take um, a little bit longer and, and a bit of time, you know, dedicating yourself to sort of controlling your fire. But, you know, a lot of these things can be cooked for a long time, you know, several hours over the barbecue. Uh, and, you know, it's just for me, the, the results that you get compared to when you cook a shoulder of lamb in the oven, it's just, it, you know, it really elevates it to, to, to sort of, you know, adds a whole other sort of angle to your cook because, you get this wonderful sort of smokiness to it that you know we're all about you know i'm, I'm going to advocate it and, and and support support that but that is you know for me it really makes a big difference yeah and how do you get those amazing crispy burnt ends on your brisket yeah well normally when you uh cook a large joint like a, a brisket what will happen is the length of time that it will take for it to cook to the optimal temperature inside it will tend to sort of dry out and burn on its edges you know, by virtue of the fact of cooking for such a length of time at a certain temperature, what happens is it takes a while for that heat to transfer to the middle of the meat. So um, the outer edges will tend to sort of crisp up and, and burn before your inside, you know, the, 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 the inner part is cooked. So the length of time that it takes to cook a brisket, for example, can be anything from sort of 8, 9, 10 to 18, 20 hours. Wow. And in that time, the outside will tend to crisp up and become quite dry so that's when you get what is known as burnt ends that you, you, you kind of cut off and put in your, your beans or braise them and they still have good flavour they just have a slightly different texture to that sort of soft gelatinous meat that you're looking for when you're, when you're cooking brisket. And what's your favourite meat to cook on the barbecue do you think? It really Hard depends. Question. Yeah, it's like asking me my favourite. My favourite. It depends on sort of my mood and, and uh, time of year and what at the moment think, is your favourite? You, you know, overall, I would probably go with lamb. You know, I, I, um, I'm a huge fan of lamb. It's probably my favourite, but it's a really tough one for me. You know, I, I love duck. I love duck breast. Yeah. I love, you know, there's a time and a place for every cut of meat. It's, it's difficult for me to say. Yeah. If you're cooking duck, like how do you, would you cook duck? What's your signature way of cooking? I don't know if I have a signature way of, of doing it, but I mean, duck, duck breasts, you know, are, are a favourite of mine. So that would get, you know, a combination of direct, I'd even doing direct cooking with, with, duck, with duck breasts where, you know, you sort of render down the fat, uh, sear it and cook it, finish it indirect with the lid down because you get flare-ups. There's so much fat in, in, in with a, a duck breast. Mm. If you don't trim it off, you know, that if you were to just cook it over, directly over the charcoal, you'll get a lot of flare-ups and it will burn. So... You know, that will be something where you would also consider cooking it indirect off the charcoal and let some of that fat render away. Um, but I'm not sure I have a, a signature duck, a duck dish. <laughs> duck breast is pretty good, just salt and pepper. It doesn't need much. Oh, Maybe yeah. a nice, you know, a nice sort of 
sharp sauce with it. So you do give equal love to barbecue and vegetables in your yep. book and at uh, the restaurants, which we love at Olive because um, our like vegetarian barbecue recipes, for example, are more more popular than our meat barbecue recipes. Yep. Um, there's somewhat of, like a vegetarian revolution at the moment. Well, it's been going on for a while now, but yep. uh, which is great news because people are really starting to realize how how amazing vegetables are and the flavors you can get from and also that they can be the centerpiece rather yep. than the rather than the side dish yep so what are your tips I mean, that's for a real, cooking that's vegetables our philosophy is that we feel that like you know sort of vegetables are as much we don't really call them we tend not to call them sides you know they're kind of a, a, a section of the menu in their own right cause, good um you know, we really we're 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 quite familiar through my time at Ottolengo of cooking with vegetables, and we're quite proud of, of making it centerpiece along with the meat. Mm. So, yeah. so how Tips. would you? Yeah, if if someone's having a barbecue and they, you know, they've got like they want to make it vegetarian focused, yeah. what would you? How you know? How would you say to cook a cauliflower or a, some spring onions? Well, some of them can be treated exactly. You know the same way as as uh, meat in many ways. You know a cauliflower. Um, you know you can kind of slow roast in a barbecue indirectly. Um, so you put the lid down, you cook it off the coals, and you let it sort of sort of really sort of almost smoke. You know we'll um, smoke our beetroot in a in barbecue over over charcoal. You know instead of and it, instead of roasting in, a, in an oven, you can make a salad in which you're cooking your, your your beetroot you know again you would just put them a little bit off uh, you can even put them on over the coals but um, you know there's not much in terms of vegetables that, that don't benefit from time on the on the fire some you know another technique that we'll we'll tend to use is using for example onions or, or corn that you can sort of put them let them put them directly over the coal and let their outer layer sort of burn it almost forms like a, a protective layer for the inside so uh, corn on the cob is a good example or onions and you'll get this sort of you let it completely char and burn on the outside and that will create a steaming effect where it will steam on the inside so um, you know things like corn on the cob you don't have to boil them before they go on the barbecue you put them direct on in their husk and just let that husk sort of um, burn up and, and you'll find that if you leave it for sort of 15-20 minutes take it off the barbecue you'll find that the whole corn will have steamed perfectly and then you can, you know, remove the husk and just finish it on the grill just to blacken it if you want. Mm. Um, and onions are, are another example of a vegetable that's brilliant. You let them just really... We, we put them directly on the coals and we let them completely char and burn on the outside and then we peel out the outside layer and it just sort of protects the inside, lets it steam. You get this, this sort of caramelised sort of sweetness to them. Onions are brilliant on the barbecue. So um, what would you do with the onions once they've cooked? Would you put them into a salad? We'd pull or... them out and you can either put them in a salad, you can dress them, hack them up and dress them with some vinegar and, and oil and some garlic and chilli and, and you can have, very quickly have a sort of salsa that can go with meat or you can fold them through creme fraiche or a mayonnaise to sort of add an interesting angle to your um, you know to, that can then be used to, to serve alongside um, either vegetables or, or meat or fish you know there's, there's so many things you can do yeah. so going to um, the like show stopping centerpieces with 
with vegetarians for vegetarians. What about um, cauliflower shawarma? How would you cook that on a barbecue? How long would you? Well, that's kind of become our signature. I mean, it goes through a bit of a process. We, we blanch. Uh, that's that's our, our signature dish in the restaurant is our cauliflower shawarma. We, we blanch it first just to sort of uh, get into its core and sort of soften it. And then we'll put it on the barbecue. Uh, and you can put the lid down. So you've got a nice hot barbecue. Uh, put the lid down and it will kind of roast. If you have a very, very hot barbecue, it will it will barbecue roast, is what wow. I, I like to call yeah. it, at high temperature. So you get, um, you know, a, bar- a, a cauliflower is actually one vegetable. If you just put it on the barbecue, it, it tends to sort of dry uh, before it cooks all the way to its core. So it, I always, add, you know, that is one where we will blanch it first before uh, before putting it on the barbecue. But once once you've taken it to al dente and some hot boiling water you can then rub it in oil or, or butter and, and transfer it to the barbecue and, and, and sort of give it a hot roasting it's really that's one of my favorite nice. things to cook on a, on a, on a barbecue. and then um how do you dress it because it looks beautiful doesn't it in Once our restaurant you, yeah. we dress it with um with tahina sauce which is tahini paste mixed with lemon juice and, and uh, water and, and some garlic and uh pomegranate molasses and then we put a whole load of other things, pomegranate seeds and, and chopped chili and chopped parsley. and Amazing. Uh, yeah. So that's a, an amazing, like, beautiful thing to serve at, um, at a barbecue. Yes. Because, you know, because a lot of the wow factor of a barbecue is, like, your big, you know, your piece of meat. Yeah, know. exactly. I mean, I, I, that's for vegetarian. You know, I think that's a brilliant... Firstly, it's got meat-like qualities. I always find cauliflowers. You can cut it into steaks. Yeah, we have a lot them, of cauliflower you know, steaks. It's, it's got a, a sort of almost meat-like quality to it, but also there's a sort of theatrical element to presenting a whole roasted yeah. cauliflower. I mean, I, I first encountered it when I was in Israel at a restaurant that is now quite famous. Um, What's it called? At, it's called Miznon. And uh, there's a, a, a chef over there called Eyal Shani. He's a, he doesn't know it, but he's a hero of mine. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, they just rub it with olive oil, roast it in the oven, and, well, I think they blanch it, and, you know, we put all of the other things on top, you know, we kind of like, like to pimp its ride and then put these other things on, on top, but, um, you know, there it's just presented as a whole, very simple, using, like, the sort of, the purity of the ingredient and nothing more. Um, so you get that kind of theatrical display when you present a whole cauliflower to the table, it's a bit of a showstopper. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and so, you know, it's a good one. Yeah. So um, you've talked a lot about um, cooking methods on using the barbecue to do uh, various things such as smoking, grilling, and even burning, but on purpose, yes. and charring. Yep. Um, do you have any are any of those your favourite way of cooking? I know that's a really hard question, probably. Yeah, do you but. know what I, just, what I love? I mean, it is, this is quite a sort of roundabout answer that doesn't get to the point, but the, the thing I love about barbecue is that there are just so many different techniques and different... Uh, angles or aspects of it that it's like a journey of discovery I mean, you know like, like with all cooking and like with a lot of things in life it's, a, it's an endless journey of discovery there are lots of different things so you know i i, I love learning how to smoke meat and, and to cook it over a long period of time um i love charring things you know charring vegetables directly in the in the in the coals or um i enjoy you know there's all sorts of you know different experiments i enjoy sort of hanging meat over a fire and slowly cooking it it's more of a sort of south american or argentinian way like of, asado, um, isn't asado it? you know slow cooking controlling a fire over an extended period of time and slowly slowly cooking you know large joints that you can either hang or, or tie to a cross 
Um, Do you have any like makeshift? Uh, ways of doing that in the restaurant or do you do that yeah, yeah, do no, that we do. before no we have well, we, uh, we have a fire pit and we have shelves that we can hang things nice. from so uh, uh, but it's very theatrical because it's an open kitchen isn't it it is an open kitchen yeah, yeah. And, you know that is, it is um, it's also just a lovely way to cook to cook meat I'm, all, I'm also just getting into sort of salt crust uh, nice. cooking on, on, on a barbecue so Ooh. which is um, an amazing way to cook it's I mean it it, it, it I, mean, I think most people are familiar with the idea of, sort yeah. of encasing the fish or, or actually vegetables in a salt crust and letting it steam within. But it, it creates the same sort of effect as it does when you burn an onion straight in the coals. The outer layer of the onion creates that protective layer, the same as a sort of crust. But I've just started discovering salt crust cooking on fire, and I'm really enjoying wow. seeing what you can and, and, and can't do. You know, it's, it's, is there um, any particular meat or veg that is lending itself to that? Well, fish is amazing with it. Yeah. Veg, you know, sweet potatoes, all potatoes, Ooh, yeah. really. Fennel. Uh, turnips are good. We've got turnips. a really good recipe for turnips, salt yeah. crusted turnips. Onions. Yeah. Uh, meat. I've just really been playing around with chicken, which you don't get that lovely sort of golden caramelised skin that you get with roasting a chicken or grilling a chicken but you get this lovely sort of moist uh, flesh that Ooh. you can't really uh, you know that I, I haven't had it by cooking it in any other way it tends to dry out in an oven a lot more than it would when you salt crust a chicken you get this very tender meat uh, but I haven't tried anything other than chicken I'm, 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 I'm oh. starting at the start of that journey with salt crust cooking. so can we get um, the salt crusted dishes on the menu at Burbank. Not, not yet. We're just we're, yet. we're start. Oh. I mean, I've, I've always salt baked in, in ovens. I'm just sort of getting to grips with it on a on a barbecue. So no, not as yet, but hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, it's yeah. a bit of a challenge because you have to create uh, different levels of fire. You've got to create fire below a, a, and above. So okay. you have to have some sort of setup that enables you to sort of build fire and you, you sort of roast in between the two fires and that's not oh, that gosh. easy in a, in a <laughs> quite hard in a, in a railway arch it is yeah. in a commercial kitchen it's not that straightforward yeah. it we'll sounds like the, the restaurant um, is an amazing it's an amazing experience to come to it because you're not only eating these amazing foods but the smells that must come out of the kitchen and like seeing you guys in there with all of these Make, I'm saying makeshift, but I'm sure they're very professional. But you know, yeah. your shelves and you're hanging everything, yeah. creating fires everywhere. It yeah. sounds pretty, pretty epic. Yeah. So um, uh, yeah, we tr we yeah. tried deliberately. You know, a lot of it was based on my my visits to sort of Marrakesh or the Medina, where I don't know if, if you've been, but it's a real sort of assault yeah. on your senses, and you kind of sit at these food stalls and they're cooking there, and there's the smell of the food and the fire and the noises, and it's one of my favourite places, the, the, the Medina. I know it's very. Um, cliche or like a film but it's really an amazing amazing place and uh, I wanted to try and recreate that in the restaurant in some small part you know to get that sense of fire and smoke and flavor and, and noise and, and sort of assault, assault of those senses yeah it sounds like you've been successful in that <laughs> um, so yeah I think that's all we've got time for but if, any, if anybody wants to experience this directly then you should get to Burbank and it's in Haggerston isn't it uh, it is in Haggerston. Yes. yes. Um, and also, you've got the Shawarma Bar and Exmouth Market. Yep, Burbank Shawarma um, Bar and Exmouth Market. And then, is that where you can get the cauliflower Shawarma? We as do well? them in both. I think we're, 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 we're tied to the cauliflower Shawarma for the rest of my life. <laughs> Wherever, whatever we do, we'll always serve cauliflower and Shawarma. And the Israeli breakfast. Yeah. And the recipe's in the book. 
So great. Yeah. yeah. So the, um, you can also get the book on Amazon. So um, yeah, everyone should go and buy the book and start cooking meats and vegetables and there, on cook, the barbecue. Yeah, get out there cooking on fire. That's yeah. a lot of what we want to try and get across. Hopefully, you know, this weather will um, continue as well, so we can continue to have it. lots of barbecues. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing your tips and chatting to us. Thank and you for next time me. we go to Israel or Morocco, I'm definitely gonna. I'm going to ask you for recommendations because no it sounds like you know what, what, where to go. Come and speak to me. I do. I know one or two places. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd really love to hear from you. For more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. And you can also pick up a copy of our brand new August issue now or download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.